I told Graham, I was like, you know, I pointed him to Joe, and I said, he's the one who's seen flesh and blood. And Graham's like, that guy? He was a superstar <laughs> to Graham. Graham thought that was awesome. So, uh, amen. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 13 this morning. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, I just, man, again, I'm so thankful for them this morning because you could, how many of you felt that in the atmosphere, that rock? I walked in happy. I walked in and I immediately felt it. Immediately. Like it put me at a somber, serious mood. It was really um, so, so thankful for them because I, I think we broke through that. Amen. I think we're, um, you know, there, as I was praying earlier over, over whoever it was, or maybe it's more than one, um, a spirit of discouragement often tries to come. And what, what that is the enemy doing, what he's doing is he's trying to steal this moment from you. Do you realize when, when, when we're in worship, God's wanting to do something? And what the enemy wants to do, if he can put a spirit of discouragement on you, and how do you know it's a spirit versus I'm just discouraged? Most of the time, you don't even know why you're discouraged. You have no reason to be discouraged, but it's on you heavy. That's usually a spirit of discouragement. And, uh, and it's just the enemy trying to steal that moment from you. Amen. And uh, so, man, so thankful for them. But Romans chapter 4, verse 13 this morning. And uh, I want to I get to this. Um, I think this is message like 28 of my series on faith righteousness. I've been doing it for about 14 years now, it feels like. And uh, I told Jeremiah the other day, I said, man, I am so sick of preaching on this, and I'm ready to move on to something different. But uh, God just won't let me off of it. And when I say God, I mean Jeremiah. Um, Because he'll be that one. I think I'm going to teach on this. And he's like, you sure about that? You sure? You sure you don't want to talk about this? I'm like, I do want to talk about that. Yes, you're right. So uh, we're about done. Amen. Uh, Romans 4, verse 13, it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world. And I'm just joking. Jeremiah doesn't have much to preach. I'm just, I'm just joking. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, verse 14. So faith, righteousness. Are we, are we going to go slow? You're, you're fine. No, you're fine. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and notice this, and the promise of no effect. Next verse. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now look here. This is why we're here. Therefore, it is of faith. What is of faith? The promise. The promise is of faith that it might be according to grace. So now notice what he's saying here. He's like, I know we like to emphasize grace, but if there is no faith, there is no grace. Okay? So faith and grace are really the power twins of how the the Christian life is supposed to work. This book is a bag of seed. And your heart is the soil where the seed needs to go. All right? But faith is the only way that seed will grow. All right? Grace, by grace, everything has been provided. 
everything. But notice, therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. So we could say, if it isn't a faith, then it can't be according to grace. All right? So that the promise, look here, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So what he's saying is what makes the promise, any promise of God, I mean, he's speaking of a specific promise here, but it works for every promise. The only way a promise can work in your life is if it's planted in your heart by grace and watered by faith. All right? And I know we're look, you're thinking, what's this got to do with faith righteousness? You'll see in a few moments. But now, I'm aware that faith has been misunderstood and abused. But here's why faith has been misunderstood and abused. Here's the message in two seconds. Faith isn't about you. That is a blockbuster right there. Faith isn't about you. It's not. But we've made faith about us, whether it's our ability to believe, whether it's our ability, you know, faith in our faith, whatever. We've made faith about us, but faith isn't about you. It's not about your ability. It's not about your performance. It's not about your works. Faith is about, get this, Jesus. That's what faith is about. Now, what I want to do this morning is... What I want to do this morning is I'm going to go through things and I'm going to kind of redirect how you see faith. Um, wrong, for, for example, the first thing I want to talk about is faith is an issue of the heart, not the head. This is very important because we've been calling accurate knowledge faith. That's not faith. That's good and you need accurate knowledge. But that's not faith. Uh, now, getting the right, not the accurate knowledge in your head is that important? Absolutely. It's called mind renewal. You need that. You need the you need the truth. But faith is a it is of the heart. For with the heart, man does what believes, right? So belief isn't something. Oh yeah, I believe that. And how do I know if I believe something or not? Well, do you act on it? Because I've, I've used this illustration before, uh, just recently. If I yelled fire, and you all don't take off running out the door or trying to help somebody get out the door, you don't believe that they're. You don't believe me, right? Does that make sense? So when we believe something, we'll act on it. So how do I know if I've got faith in my heart or faith in my head? Because when I when I know it here versus here, I believe it. I act on it, right? But let's look at Mark 11, 22, 23. I want to show you something, and this is powerful, and this was a major revelation for me. Mark 11, 22 and 23, and I promise you I'm going to go somewhere, and I think this is going to be a blessing to you. Uh, verse 22 says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Or other translations, like the, the older translations you look at, they'll more than likely say, Have the faith of God. Now that doesn't... I don't want to get into that, but it just means let's operate faith the way God operates it. Verse 23, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, now I want you to notice this part, and does not doubt in his heart, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, um, 
a, an old-time minister who's had a great impact on my life. He used to say that the three most important words in Mark eleven twenty three 23 is says, says, says. Right? The three times Jesus, you know, and he, he used to bring out that Jesus says, say three times, believe one time. That the saying is three times more important than the believing. I'm okay with that because faith does need to be released through words. Right? I'm okay with that. But those are say, say, and say is not the three most important words in Mark eleven twenty three. The three most important words in Mark eleven twenty three is in his heart. How do I know that? Because listen, according to Jesus here, you can say, 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 but if you doubt it in your heart, it don't work. Now, years ago, I preached a message on faith here, and I had somebody come to me and was like, I don't like that you say faith doesn't work. Faith always works. Well, you're in denial because what I call faith doesn't always work. Let's just be honest. We need to get to the point where we... How do I know if I'm believing the right thing? You ready for this mind-blowing question? Does it work? Does it work? If, I'm, if, if somebody's teaching to me about finances, about sowing and reaping, if I'm doing it and I'm getting more broke, it ain't working. How do I know I'm believing the wrong thing? It ain't working. If a, if a farmer, Jesus always used, Jesus used his word, the illustration I talked about earlier, as seed. If a farmer goes out into the, you know, goes out into the farm, sows seed, and eventually he doesn't get a harvest, guess what? He knows he's doing something wrong. You understand me? So if what I'm believing isn't working and it isn't producing fruit, it's time for me to admit somewhere, somehow, I'm believing the wrong thing. But here's what we do, because legalism has taught this. Well, the problem is I'm doing something wrong. I'm in sin, I'm not doing enough, you know, enter your your favorite excuse. Um, But faith is of the heart. It's not of the performance, and faith isn't of the head. It's not just knowing the right thing. It's believing the right thing in your heart. So Jesus says here, yeah, you can say, you can say, you can say, but if you doubt it in your heart, you're going to stumble. There's going to be a problem. This isn't... Let's just put it this way, this isn't going to work. So, so listen, if you're speaking to the mountain, because what's he say? He says, does not in his heart, but believe those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So listen, if I'm speaking, speaking, speaking to the mountain, and it's not moving, what's the problem? Let's be honest here. Jesus only says there's one problem. You're doubting in your heart. Doubt, don't be condemned by that. You know where doubt comes from? You're believing something wrong. You're believing the wrong thing somewhere. For most of us, it's because we're looking at ourselves. For most of us, it's because we're looking at ourselves. Now, what is the heart? Now, here's been my big problem with those who used to emphasize, say, say, say. The heart was always taught that it was the spirit. The heart is not the spirit. God is very intentional with words. The Greek word for heart is cardia. It's where we get cardiac, right? The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. If the heart and the spirit were the same thing, he could just use the same word. He doesn't use the same word. Now, what is the heart? I could get really technical here, but here's the thing. Everyone in here knows intuitively what the heart is. 
I could break it down theologically. I could break it down scripturally. But we'd just be wasting our time. And you'd actually get more confused. Everyone in here this morning knows what their heart is. How do I know? I love you with all my heart. That broke my heart. That touched my heart. That moved my heart. Right? We know intuitively what our heart is. You just know. What am I getting at? You know when you truly believe something. I can't tell you if whether or not you're truly believing it. Only you can. Right? Do I really? Faith is of the heart. And th- this is so important. And this goes back to, so in verse 22, he said, have faith in God. The older the translations you get, the more likely they are to say, have the God kind of faith. The God kind of faith is not just speaking. And, you know, we go back to Genesis 1 and we say, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. That is important. But in the Hebrew, when it says said, you can look it up, Strong's, you can strong it, weast it, bind it, do whatever you want to. It, 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 here's what you're going to find out it means. God seen something in his heart. He painted a picture in his heart. He's seen it. He's seen it to the degree that it was more real to him than anything else. And from that place of believing, he spoke. That's what the, the Hebrew does not just say, well, if you just say it, 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 it'll work. That's why, listen, we got to watch that teacher. Hey, you know, you know the confession police that tickled me to death. Pew! You know, wrong confession, right? No, because when you're saying that tickled me to death, you don't believe that somebody can literally tickle you to death. That's why no one has yet to hear of someone. Did you hear about Bob? What happened to him? Got tickled to death. Confession doesn't work unless you truly believe it in your heart. So no one truly believes, man, you know, if somebody tickles me too hard, this could be, this could be it. <laughs> yeah, like nobody's tickled me and I thought, this is it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like that random chest pain you get, you know, and you think, here it is. Like nobody's been tickled and all of a sudden, there's Jesus. He's coming to get me, you know. So faith works from the heart. And the idea that Jesus is getting is, listen, if you will see that mountain being removed in your heart, then you can speak to it and you can see it move. Whatever it is, you can see it move if you can see it in your heart. And until you see it in your heart, listen, I've taught on this before, but you guys know there is a place to be speaking the word over yourself and painting a picture on your heart. But I know when I'm speaking something, painting it on my heart versus when I'm speaking out of my heart. And it's when I'm speaking out of my heart that things change. Until that, I can intentionally speak and and put an image on my heart. But until then, man, that's not what I want to talk about. Y'all just quit. Y'all just quit, okay? Just quit. Oh. I just want to talk about the tickling more. I just feel like, 
I feel like we broke through on the tickling. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. Next point, let's go on. All right, the issue for the believer, listen to this, this is important. The issue for the believer isn't the amount of faith. Now, that's been a big one because Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, right? So the minister comes along, lays hands on the sick, the sick walks away still sick, and the minister says, oh, ye of little faith. Or, well, according to your faith, be it unto you. Um, I promise you one thing. If you ever ask me to pray for you and you're sick and you don't get healed, I will not put the blame on you. Because the power of God released through my hands in my mind, in my heart, is much stronger than any unbelief on your end. Right? And that's what we need to get that established in our heart. But anyways, so, O ye of little faith, I want you to think about this. Jesus, Peter, this is our favorite illustration. Peter walks on the water, right? Peter's walking on the water. He began, it says he began to look at the wind and the waves. He begins to sink. Jesus pulls him up and says, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And we say, <laughs> Peter, little faith. Such little faith, little Peter. Right? Listen to me, guys. I'm done. That's great. That's great. That's great. All right. Thursday night, I'm announcing it. I'm announcing it right now. Thursday night will be a tickle service. Um. Jeremiah's going to walk in here Thursday night and be like, what is going on? <laughs> All right. So, thank you. It's so good to have a good time in church, right? Um, so, with a little faith, so Peter begins to sink. Jesus says, oh, you have a little faith? Why did you doubt? And we begin to, to, to pick on Peter. You know, because of his little faith, he began to sink. With, listen to me. You're missing the point. With a little faith, Peter walked on water. With a little faith, Peter walked on water. With a little faith, disciples laid hands on the sick and seen them recover. With a little faith. So when Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, he's not, like, he's not slapping them and saying, you need more faith. He's saying, look what you did with a little faith. Look what you did with a little faith. Your, your amount of faith is of no issue to God. Remember when they came to, to Jesus and they said, increase our faith? And His response is, if you had faith. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed which I've heard people say is the smallest seed you can find. If that's truth, then why are we rebuking people for little faith? I don't see Jesus rebuking faith as much as I see Him commending faith. A little faith is better than no faith. With a little faith, Peter walked on the water. With a little faith, the disciples seen the dead raised, demons cast out. But let me bring this out. Have you noticed in the epistles, Romans through the rest of the New Testament, not one time is the amount of faith ever mentioned again. 
Not one time. Why? Faith is not the issue for the believer. Why? Cars drive. Planes fly. Believers believe. (laughs) So you're telling me that you believe God came down, born of a virgin, lived 30 to 33 years on this earth, died, was buried for three days and three nights, and then he rose from the dead, walked around the earth on 40 days, and then ascended to heaven. You're telling me you believe that, but you're struggling with faith. (laughs) You, I don't care what you think, you don't have a faith problem. You don't have a faith problem. Well, well, what is my problem? Listen to me. I'm going to tell you what your problem is. You don't have a faith problem. If, you're, if you think you're struggling with faith, you don't have a faith problem. You have a righteousness problem. Let me say what I mean. It's not that you're not righteous, but you don't understand in your heart you have been made righteous by faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because if, if I'm in right standing with God, how can I struggle to receive every or anything I need from Him? But if I'm struggling to receive from Him and I think He's holding back, then I truly don't understand righteousness. I truly don't understand what He has made me in Christ. Go with me to Philemon uh, verse 6. Philemon, verse 6, and this is one of, um, and there's only uh, one chapter. Philemon, or I used to say Philemon, and then we, years ago, then years ago at, at our previous church, we had a guy, he came and he did a Bible study, and he like made us all pronounce it like 30 times, and I finally got it. Philemon! You know, that was me. You know. <laughs> but... Um, Look here, that, that the fellowship, or in the New King James, the sharing of your faith, but fellowship is a better word. Now look here, that the fellowship of your faith, now in the New King James it says that the sharing of your faith. This is, and I don't like that because this is not an evangelism verse. This is not a verse about sharing your faith with someone else. That's not what this verse is about. The word fellowship or sharing is koinonia. Right, which is where we get fellowship, uh, communion, partnership. So when he says, so in the New King James, when it says sharing, the idea isn't sharing, you know, telling somebody about Jesus. The idea is if I lay my hands on you, like earlier when Logan laid his hands on these ladies, he was actually sharing his faith with them. Does that make sense? Or we could say the release, that the releasing of your faith, that the transmission of your faith, or that the communication of your faith would be made effective. All right? Now, look here. I want you to notice something. That the sharing of your faith may become effective. So, here's the thing. The issue is not, do I or do I not have enough faith? That's not the issue for the believer. The issue for the believer is, is my faith effective or not? 
Is it working or not? Right? So, because here's this is the way I read the Bible. If my faith can become effective, that implies that my faith can be what? Ineffective. Right? If I say that faith can work, that implies what? That faith cannot work. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? But now notice, but see, when we see that, we start to get into performance. We start to get into ritual. We begin to confess. We begin to fast. We begin to, you know, try to do, do, do. But look here. How does it come? He tells us. He says, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So, how does your faith become effective? By acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So, let me say this. The, the effectiveness of your faith is tied to, directly tied to, how you see God and how you see yourself. If you see, see, this one's easy. If you if if you don't truly believe he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer, then of course you're going to struggle with sickness, right? But on top of that, do you see yourself as the healed of the Lord? How do you see yourself? Um, well, this is, man, we need to be established in who we are in Christ more than anything else. More than anything else, we need to be established in who we are in Christ. Because what I want to discuss these, the, today, it's not. I don't want to give you a formula for how to make faith work. Now, to a degree, I believe that, that me and Logan's had this conversation. To a degree, I believe that faith is mechanical. I believe there's a way to work it. But when we're dealing with an issue of the heart, every heart is different. So what I want to get it to you is, see, a lot of us have the right hardware, but the wrong software. Let me explain. Uh, have you ever tried to download an app on your phone? And maybe you've not, if you've got it set, but I've done it in the past. But you try to download an update on your phone, and it says you don't have the latest software for this app. So you have to go download the new software, and then you can get the app. Uh, see, in our spirit, we've got the right hardware. Right? We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are holy, we are justified, we are perfect, we are in unbreakable union with Him. We've got the right hardware. But we, a lot of times we've got the wrong software. We don't see ourselves like we should. How should we see ourselves? In Christ Jesus. How should we see ourselves? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And every other thing I could talk about, I could talk about you being holy. I could talk about you being perfect. I could talk about you being healed. I could talk about you being prosperous. I could talk about you being joyful. But listen, I can sum it all in one word, righteous. If you can get that, the rest of it becomes easy. And if you don't have that, you'll struggle with the rest of it. The issue isn't faith. The issue isn't I don't know enough. The issue is I'm not truly persuaded that I've been made righteous in Christ. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, 
Now, here's why I'm bringing you here, because we're about to read Galatians 2 and verse 20. And Galatians 2 verse 20 is the one that, you know, people quote all the time, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, right? Um, but it's amazing to me recently as I've been teaching on faith righteousness and just studying in my own life, how many big verses we use if we go to the context, the context is faith righteousness. Uh, I did that recently a couple of Thursdays ago. Uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, right? Well, I've heard, people, I've heard people preach on that. But the entire context of chapter 3 is faith righteousness. So the whole purpose of faith righteousness is what? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So a lot of people want to know him, the power of his re resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, but they don't understand the faith righteousness part. And that's why they're always pursuing knowing him. And, and I mean, you, you get what I'm saying. Always pursuing uh, the power of his resurrection to no avail because they don't understand faith righteousness. All right? But Galatians uh, 2.16 will give us the context. He says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified. Now remember, justified is just the legal declaration that you are righteous. Justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Now jump down to verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, now verse 21. That verse is quoted all the time. But look at verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So, the, so here's what I'm saying. I've told you this, guys, over and over, but I want to reiterate it one more time. Over and over in the New Testament, you'll see faith, but then you'll see at times, you'll see Paul talk about the faith. And what is the faith? The faith is, when he says in uh, verse 20, the faith of the Son of God, he's not just saying, okay, you have Jesus' faith. That's not, that's not the context, and that's the way it's primarily been used, even by ministers I look up to. But the context is uh, the faith of the Son of God. When you read in the New Testament, the faith, it's referring to this union with Jesus Christ. How am I, how am I in union with him? Faith, righteousness. So the faith, anytime you see the faith in the New Testament, what you are learning about is faith righteousness. That's the faith. I'm made right with God by faith. You can call that Christianity. You can call that whatever you want to. But Christianity at its core is faith righteousness. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Faith righteousness. It's not just the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's us believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that makes us what? Righteous. All right? So, so righteousness, so faith righteousness is the faith. And listen to me. This is the context of the New Testament. The context of the New Testament is not how for you to get a car, for you to get a house. For, I mean, and listen, I believe in all that stuff. Right? I'm all about that. But listen to me. The context of the New Testament is you are right with God 
because you've placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the context of the New Testament. And if you will, and I've told you this over and over, if you'll go through the New Testament and you'll, anywhere you see faith, put righteousness after it. Anywhere you see righteous, put faith before it. It will completely change your view of faith because you'll see faith isn't about me. It's about Jesus. And that is so contrary to the way that we've tended to, to, to speak about faith. Because here's the thing, guys. How can I believe God will heal me if I don't believe I'm right with Him? How can I trust Logan to put hands on me if I'm sick and, and, and me be healed if I don't think he's right with God? Come on now. Let's be honest. Our struggle isn't faith. Our struggle is righteousness. But what we're struggling with, we have no reason to struggle with. We just, again, we've got the right hardware, but we're missing the wrong. We're, we're missing the right software. E. W. Kenyon used this this definition of righteousness, and it's my favorite one. I think the most practical definition of righteousness is right standing. But my favorite definition of righteousness comes from E. W. Kenyon, who who lived back in the early 1900s. He said, "Righteousness is the ability to stand before God." without any sense of guilt, shame, or inferiority. And if you can get that in your heart, listen, if I believe that I have the ability to stand before God without any guilt, without any shame, then who's ever going to intimidate me? If, you're, if you feel shame around people, it's because to a degree you still feel shame around God. Because when I know I have no shame when I stand before him, then when I stand before Connie, there's no shame. Right? When you stand before me, there's no shame. Why? Because who am I in comparison to God? And if the, the creator of the universe says, you can stand before me without any shame, then why would I stand before another fallen being with any shame? If you don't have faith righteousness established in your heart, you will always disqualify yourself. Every time. And this is where most people go wrong with faith, including myself. If you'll be honest, if you're struggling with something, I guarantee if you'll do just you'll take inventory of your heart, you will see I'm disqualifying myself somewhere. Somehow I'm disqualifying myself. And, there's, and listen, there's no condemnation. Just be honest with yourself. Where am I disqualifying myself? Why am I disqualifying myself? It's like, you know, like God came to, to, to Adam. He said, who told you that you were naked? Somebody told you that you are disqualified. Whether it was a minister, whether it was yourself, whether it was somewhere, someone else, somewhere, some, somehow along the way, We've believed that we're disqualified. So I'm going to skip the next verse I had planned, but listen to this, because here's this is important, guys. Everything you need in life, there's a promise for it. Everything. I don't care what the issue is, there is a promise in God's word for it. But let me say this: what the promises actually do, the promises reveal the character of God. 
You don't have to have a chapter and verse to have faith. But you do need to know the truth. God spoke something to me, and I've shared this here before. God spoke to me years ago, and he said, Do you know 1 Peter 2.24 has never healed one single individual? Now, that bothered me, Logan, because I'm like, uh, every time I pray for sickness, I pray 1 Peter 2.24. I know a lot of people have stood on 1 Peter 2.24 and been healed. And God said, nope, 1 Peter 2.24 has never healed one person. If you don't know what that says, the end of it says, by his stripes you were healed. By his stripes you were healed. By his stripes you were healed. It does not say by this verse you were healed. Let that sink in. First Peter 2.24 doesn't heal anyone. But what it does is it reveals what heals us. What heals us? The stripes of Jesus, the work of Jesus. So the, the point of 1 Peter 2.24, God didn't put it in there so you would have something to confess to get healing. He put that in there so you could realize, where do I need to look for healing? Where do I look? The whipping post. Where do I look? Jesus. Right? That's where provision is. Provision is in the stripes of Jesus. So it's not that you must have a verse for faith to become effective. It's that when you find a verse that contains a promise, that promise is teaching you the heart of God concerning your situation. Because here's the thing. If I need healing and Jesus already providing, provided healing, then why am I struggling with it? I don't have to work for it. Let me tell you something. If you want a good verse on healing, I'm going to give you one that I've never heard. All the great ministers of healing I've heard, I've never heard anyone use this verse. Hosea 11, verse 3. He says, I, he says they knew not that I healed them. Well, what's so powerful about that? This is what this reveals to me. You can be healed and not know it. Now, I'll give you, more than likely, they're in context, He's not talking about physical healing. I'll give you that. But how many knows healing is healing? Spiritual, soul, body, healing is healing. And so Hosea 11.3 teaches us that you can be healed and not know it. There's not one believer in here who wasn't healed 2,000 years ago. And that's what 1 Peter 2.24 reveals to me. It doesn't reveal to me, okay... This is what you need to confess to see this happen. It's here's what you need to get in your heart to connect to the healing that's already in you. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So what does 1 Peter 2.24 reveal to me? Healing is a good thing which is in me in Christ Jesus. Let's go to Second Corinthians. Uh, actually, let's go to Colossians 1.12. Here's the next thing you need to see, and I'm trying to go quick. But because here's what I found. Do you know what I what I found that most what is the greatest frustration in the believer's life, especially us faith people, us grace people? Do you know the greatest struggle and the greatest point of contention is that we know the word but we can't get it to work. Or we know the Word, and we don't see the fruit of it in our lives. 
Going back to 1 Peter 2.24. We know 1 Peter 2.24, but we're still sick. It creates a frustration. Why isn't this working? I've been there. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect and I hit the bullseye every time. I've got mad at God. My wife will tell you. I've slung the Bible across the room and it was, you know, one of my collectible premium Bibles that you guys know I'm big on. And I ran over there and dusted it off and like, you know, I was like, oh God, it's goat skin leather, you know. But... Goat skin's the best leather for a Bible, if you're wondering. Um, and, and it can, I've, I've proven if you throw it against the wall, it will not ruin it. <laughs> the other day, listen, the other night, Logan was doing his night church on Facebook, and I, me and Keisha were on there, you know, I, was like, I told Keisha, I was like, watch this. And I commented something, and I was like, he's, it's going to ruin his whole life because he's going to laugh and laugh, and sure enough, it worked. And then he'd get calmed down, and I'd do it again. He'd start right back. And I told Keisha, I said, I'm going to have to get off this. I just can't help myself, you know. So Keisha kept it on her phone playing. I put it off mine, and she kept it on hers playing. But here, so let's get to this, guys, really quick. I want to help you get faith established in your heart. This is what you need to know. You are qualified to receive every promise of God. All right, 2 Corinthians 1.20, I'm going to read this to you. It's in the New International. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Listen, I don't care what you read on Facebook and that cool little meme you've seen <laughs> and you thought you would share that God says yes, maybe, no, sometime later, we'll see. That is not God. Billy Bob might have shared that on Facebook, but Billy Bob ain't God. God always says one thing, yes. If it's a promise, yes. Now, are there things that we're, that we're praying about, believing God for, like maybe a job, maybe a house, and, and God will, you know, Romans 8, 28 applies there. He'll work all things together for your good. Sometimes you do have to trust that God knows better than you when it comes to things like that. But if there's a promise in the work, for example, I keep going back to healing. You don't ever have to wonder, is God withholding my healing from me? Maybe he wants me to learn something. That's not God. That's Billy Bob on Facebook. Right? 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that every promise that God has ever made, the answer is always yes. All right, Colossians 1 and verse 12 it lets us know. It says that we have been qualified. Look here, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. You can't qualify yourself. This is what faith righteousness is all about. Are you qualified? Yes. But actually, let me say, are you qualified? I've got one question for you. Not how many verses do you know, not how many times have you went to church, not have you paid your tithes, not have you confessed enough. I have one question for you. Are you in Christ? If the answer is yes, then my immediate response is, you are qualified. If your answer is no, then guess what? I don't have to work you through it. Let's get you in Christ. Then you'll be qualified. All right? So you're qualified to receive for everything that's, that's been provided for you in Christ. So let me say this, guys. Listen to me. This is really important. Faith is not about your ability to believe a specific promise. 
to believe a specific verse. And you all know that I'm real big on the written Word of God. I mean, I'm huge on that. I love the fruit I see in my life by emphasizing the written Word. But faith is not about your ability to believe a specific promise. Faith is about your ability, hear me out, your ability to believe that you are qualified to receive and experience that promise in your life. That's what faith is about. Faith is not about, do I know 1 Peter 2.24? Yeah, I know 1 Peter 2.24. Faith is, do I believe I am qualified to be healed by Jesus. That is the struggle of faith. And when you can answer that question and say, yes, I am qualified, the faith battle's over. But now you have to be, re- you have to be true with yourself in your heart. I'm trying to not administer a lot of correction that I want to administer. So Logan's going to preach in a couple weeks on Thursday night. And if you'll come out, Logan will do a lot of correction. All right? <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. Remember, we used to do that. And uh, people ask, listen, a lot of you weren't here, and you don't know what I'm talking about. Used to, the way it used to work is, one of us would minister, and one of us would do the offering. And Logan, if he did the offering, he'd get up and just slap people around. And then I would get up, and I'd be so nice teaching the actual teaching. And then I would do the offering, you know, on another week, and I'd be so nice. And then Logan would get up here. That ticked me off how nice he just did that, you know. (laughs) So that's the good cop, bad cop thing. And it worked really well for us. It still works well for us. So Um, look here, Galatians 3, 15 and 16. This This right here was such an important revelation in my life when it comes to faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Verse 16. Now look here. Now to Abraham and his... What's that next word? Were the promises made. Promise or promises? All of them. Promises. The promises were made to Abraham and his seed. Now he's going to bring out a very important point. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many. All of us. But as of one, and to your seed. Well, who's the seed? Who? Can we go to the next little part? You're fine. Who is Christ? So, this right here will help you. Listen to me. There is not one promise in this Bible that was written to you. Not one. Not one promise in here was written to you. Well, you've been preaching on the promises. The promises weren't to the seeds. The promises were to the seed. So here's why I'm saying that. Almost every promise you find, especially in the Old Testament, every promise you find has an if attached to it. A but attached to it. A condition attached to it. 
And what good, well-meaning ministers come along and say is, listen, you better keep the if, you better keep the but, because if you don't, you can't see the promise. Listen, the promise was made to the seed. The if, the but, the when was for Jesus. And when Jesus met all the conditions, the promises were secured. Well, where do I come in? If you, if you are a believer this morning, where are you? In Christ. So when you read a promise in the Word, you re, okay, when you read, if you will hearken to the voice of the Lord diligently and keep all these commandments, then, I'll, then you'll be blessed with every blessing. I don't look at it and say, oh man, I've got to keep those commandments. I read it and say, since Jesus kept, He hearkened diligently unto the voice of the Lord. And he obeyed all of his commandments. And since I am in him, I am blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. See, in Christ is not just a nice little... We totally miss it in our culture. In Christ is covenant language. Let me put covenant to you in the most simple way I can. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. That is covenant in the most simple language. Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is mine. The new covenant, all right, every covenant is made between God and man. Abrahamic covenant, God, Abraham. Noah's covenant, Noah and God. Davidic covenant, God and David. The Mosaic covenant, God through Moses, right? The new covenant, we come along and say God and the church. No. The new covenant was made between the Father and the man, Christ Jesus. So, the best example I can give you scripturally is David and Goliath. When those, those were the only two battling. But they knew, Israel knew, if David wins, we all win. The Philistines knew, if Goliath wins, we all win. When David won, Israel won. Because they were, in a sense, in Him. He was the covenant representative in that battle. Your covenant representative met all the conditions, fulfilled all the ifs, fulfilled all the buts, fulfilled all the wins, and now you're in Him, and the qualifications are covered. You are qualified in Christ. Nobody can tickle you to death. You're in Christ. <laughs> It can't touch you. So listen here. here. Here's the way covenant works. You give Jesus your life. And I know a lot of grace people don't like that. Well, it's not my life I'm giving him. It's his life. I understand that. But listen, you give Jesus your life. And you know what he gives you? His inheritance, which is his life. It's his name. It's His Word, it's His blood, it's His promises. It's His yes to everything that you need in, for life and godliness. You just give Him your life and He says, I give you my yes. That's powerful. That's powerful. Faith isn't about my performance or work, but His. And then I want to make one more point. Galatians 3.13 says we were redeemed from the curse of the law. Listen, 
God will never correct you with that which He has redeemed you from. God will never correct you with what He has redeemed you from. And so if you need to know, is God correcting me with this sickness? Sickness was a, a curse of the law. That's how I know God's not correcting you with sickness. Because He redeemed you from it. Poverty, uh, anxiety, depression, all these things, you can go look. Go look at Deuteronomy 28. Look at the curses of the law. And you'll find everything there is, covers every problem in life. Problems with children, if your children are struggling with things, listen, my children struggle with things. No condemnation to me, but because I know Jesus redeemed me from that life, I know I'm qualified. And since I'm qualified, you know what I get to do over my children? The time that I would use saying, God, is this your will? God, is this your will? God, are you punishing us? God, are you correcting us? No, I get to use that time saying, Son, I bless you. I release healing over you. I release provision. I release joy. I release peace over you. Why? Because God redeemed you. Christ redeemed you from that. That's important that you know. Because, guys, we need to know what we can submit to, and we need to know what we need to submit to and what we need to resist. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. I'm finishing here. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Now, you could insert any promise from God in there. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Notice, he gives it to all liberally. He's not holding anything back. And without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice there's not an if, there's not a, there's not a question. It will be given to him. But, but look here what he says. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. You know what that sounds like to me? Mark eleven twenty three, And doubt not in his heart. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind... For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So listen to me. I want you to notice something. Back in verse 7. Let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. Notice the issue is not God's giving. It's our receiving. Now again, notice it's our receiving, not our performing. Receiving is an issue of the heart. Receiving is an issue of the heart. Can you get rooted in this truth in your heart? How do I know it's of the heart? Because doubt is of the heart. So if doubt is of the heart, then receiving must be of the heart. We receive by faith. So, how do I get rid of doubt? How do I stop swaying? How do I remain in this place of faith? Listen to me. I'm going to sum it up really easy for you. How do I get rid of doubt? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've said that so much to you all over the last five or six months. I told Jeremiah the other day, I was like, it's starting to come out my ears. Like, I'm, like it's just, you know, I'm just, I've said it over and over and over. But I'm telling you, if you will make this the confession of your life and get it established in your heart, the struggle for faith is over. 
The struggle for healing is over. The struggle for peace is over. The struggle for freedom is over. The struggle for deliverance is over. How? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I say that over and over and over. And listen, I'm not doing it to try and make something happen. The only thing I'm trying to make happen is I'm trying to anchor that truth in my heart. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Go back to Romans 10. We did it a few weeks back. What's the context of Romans 10? Faith righteousness. So what is the word that if we hear faith comes? Faith righteousness. I'm made right with God by faith. Is that good or what? Shut up, Tim. Y'all didn't hear him. He said, that's deep. Y'all know I hate to hear that. But... Uh, Tim said, Tim said, that's deep. I, I, made, I, I said I hate when people come up to me and say that was deep teaching because I learned what that means is. Didn't understand a word you just said. Sounded real good. I've learned that's what deep means. So now, now when people say that was deep, I'm like, thank you for the insult. But has this, has this blessed you guys today? You don't have to struggle with faith. You are in Christ, so you are qualified for every promise. You are a believer, so faith is natural to you. Do you understand, even as human beings, like we are naturally inclined to believe something. That's why deception is so easy for the enemy. Because human beings are just naturally inclined to believe something that they're hearing. Well, change the report that you're hearing and begin hearing, I am the righteousness of God in faith by Christ Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful. I'm trying to think of a tickle joke, but I can't, so we'll forget about it. All right, guys. Um, <laughs> That's all I need to do. Go, uh, real quick, hold on, Connie. Uh, let's go ahead and get ready to take up the offering. Um, so we're doing fellowship meal, correct? After? Okay. So, um, so if you need to give an envelope, guys, you can raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Father, we thank you for each and every seed sown in the name of Jesus. Uh, Connie, you got something to share? Hold on a second. Let me get this one out. Okay, so um, I've been sitting here under this for a little while now. I can't remember. But um, in the past, when, when health issues have arisen and I've gotten reports, you know, I've, I've gone and, and had to go find my 101 healing scriptures that I was going to confess and I was going to confess and confess and confess. And, and then, then the old, Lord, if it be your will. You know, Lord, if it be your will. Lord, what's your will? Well, this week I got news that rocked, you know, was out of the left field. 
that um, said, I'm in line, I've got markers that show I could have a serious cardiac event. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? I just, he who sits in the heavens laughs mm -hmm. because the markers might say that and I gotta go for more tests and I got some more things that I have to, you know, go for in the natural. But you know what the Lord, I had a picnic with Jesus in my backyard the other day. And I just sat and I said, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me to a place where I am qualified. I'm not sitting here having to look at Connie and go through today and say, oh, God, let me see what I did wrong. Uh, let, me, let me see if there's something that, that I need to do, that I need to, you know, I got to get those hundred and I got to go find them hundred and one correct or, or healing scriptures. And it was just such a restful time. And I just, gee, I just, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but I felt like he said, pull out your cornhole boards and let's play a game of cornhole. And so Jesus and I played cornhole together and um, he let me have the blue bags because he knows blue's my favorite color. <laughs> and, you know, and he's, I found out he's an Auburn fan. So, um, <laughs> you know, so, um, so, and, and as I was. They don't sound right. They don't sound right, <laughs> Well, well, if you're from Alabama, you understand he's an Auburn fan. So, anyway, so, um. But but what was so cool was he told me move move the move the cornhole board over. So I did, and when I moved the cornhole board over, I looked down, and he knows blue's my favorite color, and there is a bluebird feather, and he says you're covered under my feathers, Connie, and it just I mean it was just so good. It was, and so it's just. I just love listening over and over and over that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I am qualified to receive all of his good pleasure, his good, his promises, not because of Connie and me trying to work all this up. It's just hearing over and over again, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, anyone else got anything? I thought I seen another hand. I've been listening to this um, podcast on this uh, Bible teacher, and she's really good. And every, but one thing she said in it was that um, a lot of people think God's promises are going to come to you um, no matter what. But she says also that, um, but no, they come with uh, um, stipulations or whatever, but uh, that you have to obey God's laws, you know. But what you said there was like, wow, man, uh, you know, that really puts a whole new thing on it because she doesn't, she never said that part that it's from Christ Jesus, you know, the seed. So I just want to say that was really awesome, man. Awesome. That was, awesome. yeah. Thank you. All right, I got a scene. So um, there's a time in my life about six years ago where I really, really felt that I had this down, that I knew that I was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And my son died and he didn't get healed. And my husband at the time told me that if I would have had more faith, he would have lived. And so I went through this huge time where I was like, God, that can't be right. Um, so I know that when someone doesn't get healed, the problem's never on God's end. 
but that doesn't mean that we point fingers on whether it's us or someone else or what it is. There's stuff that we chalked up, chalk up to the mystery of God. And so if I pray for someone and they don't get healed, I don't give it another, another thought. I go to the next one and I pray again. And uh, when Suzanne and Joe came out with that album, um, I hope is a person, it's okay to get your hopes up. That's what God told me. He said, look, your, your responsibility is to be willing and to pray and to know that you're righteous. And it's my job to heal and deal with disappointment. It's not. So anyway, I just want to encourage people in that, that uh, what Grant's saying is true and that um, there's no condemnation, condemnation in those disappointments and that God is good and that he doesn't change. Yeah. And keep going. Yeah. All right. I needed that. Okay, good. Every word. All right. Beginning with you. I've been going through the exact same thing as you know also, my brother. Uh, I had a stronghold broke off of me the other day of self-condemnation, not praying the right word so that the Holy Spirit in me would heal somebody. Guy at work, it died. And my brother has Parkinson's, and he looks like death warmed over. And I've been wondering, okay, didn't say it right, so he's... Right. Yeah, that's a lie. And so what you just said, don't receive it. Stop. God knows all the details. Just pray for the next. I needed all of it. Thanks. That's good. That's good. Yeah. When our son passed, I always tell people that I think, because people, um, here's the weird thing. People are amazed when you do well after such a great loss. Like people think it's, people think Keisha and I are weird because we're not sitting around crying all the time. And we never really have. We had a a season of grief. But, um, and I tell everyone, we immediately refuse to play the blame game. And that comes to each other. That comes to the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, surgeons, whatever was going on. Uh, we refused. You know, like, you know what? We're not going there. It happened, and we made another. We made another point, and that point was everybody says life will never be good again. Life will never be the same. Is what we hear. It's like, well, no, life will never be the same, but that doesn't mean life can't be good again. And I'm going to say something bold. That doesn't mean life can't be better. God doesn't deserve. God doesn't serve dessert first. All right, man. Life's just gonna get better and better and better and better and better. You mean the best life? Yeah, that's right. right. Amen. Amen. So, all right, guys. Food ready? Are we good? All right. Cool. All right, guys. I'll pray. I'll pray, and then you are dismissed. Fellowship. Eat. Do whatever. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be together. We thank you, Lord, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we are qualified to receive every promise. We thank you that everything that is yours is ours, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for this marvelous covenant, Lord. And, um, Lord, we bless this food in the name of Jesus. We declare that it will do good only and no harm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.